to the Local Bar Podcast with your host, Chad Alexander. Come on in. We have a lot of friends we want you to meet. Well, hello there. From beautiful downtown Columbia, South Carolina, look at it right in the heart of Rosewood. This is the Local Bar. I'm your host, Chad Alexander, and of all the places you could be, you decide to spend some time with us today. For that, we're incredibly grateful. How you doing? Local bar can be found. iTunes, uh, iHeart, Spotify, Amazon, all the places you get your good and your bad podcast. If you want to uh, send us an email, comments, condolences, uh, you can send it to chad at localbarmedia.com. And... uh, you can also follow us on localbarmedia.com. A couple of announcements right off the top. Our boy Donald Merkel, who does all the music for this show. Uh, it, in particular, somebody asked me, yes, the song at the very end. That is Don's song. It is uh, one of my favorite ones we used to jam to. That song could last uh, for a long time. We do this little jam at the end of it. I always loved it. Don always felt like we just never got it right. I don't know what he had in his head for it, but there was one time, there was one time at Foxfield that it was like, it was magical, magical. It's just, just amazing. Uh, our boy Don Merkel, though. <laughs> if you're in the Greensboro, Winston-Salem, North Carolina area, he will be there. Coming up Friday, July the 28th, the Gas Hill Drinking Room, which is a cool-sounding place. I don't know what the hell goes on there. But Gas Hill Drinking Room sounds like a place I'd want to go hang out. Anyway, uh, he is playing uh, along with a guy, Daniel Justin Smith. Um, it's uh, it's going to be a really cool show. You can get tickets at theramcat.com. That's R-A-M-K-A-T. Or you can just go to donmerkel.com or follow him on Facebook. Um, speaking of which, if you, if you wanted Don to, to do a show for you, you live somewhere in the southeastern United States, shoot me an email. I bet we could have him show up at your joint. Who knows? Maybe your boy here will, will, will come along with him. I haven't asked Don if he'd be cool with that yet. But I'm just going to throw it out there. If you like Don Merkel's music, want to hear some of it at your at your local place, give your boy here a, a shout. I'm, I, I got an in with the guy. Uh, also, if you are in the Columbia, South Carolina area and would love to hear your boy here sing some music, we're going to be at my, my I'm just going to call it what it is, my favorite place to play, Foxfield Bar and Grill. It's on Rosewood Drive. It is hidden. Most people in Columbia don't even know where it is. They should. It is awesome. Anybody who plays music and is a cool person has some attachment to that place. Becca does one hell of a job. It is uh, just a, a fantastic place to come and see a show. Crowds always just music fans, and I love it. Uh, Foxfield Bar and Grill. Uh, the accused will be playing Friday, tomorrow, the day of recording, as of day of recording, uh, Jane, uh, July, July 21st. Maybe that's enough for announcements because I am uh, not keeping my dates correct. I had quite a few really good shows, if I do say so myself, 
over the past uh, few weeks. Uh, I know the summers are always kind of spotty for us here, uh, but I've been amazed at the people that have come on board. I, I got a, a thank you to two two very uh, two people in, in particular. Uh, number one, Wayne Cousins. I can't appreciate him enough for for making some time out of his schedule to come on. Um, he you know yes he is a comic. He stays up all night doing comedy stuff, but he has a real job during the day. And uh, not the comedy is not a real job, but you know what I mean. The normal job. The uh, before he turns gets into the phone booth and 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 turns into his superhero status. Um, I really appreciate him coming on. I've been watching a little bit more of his social media stuff. The guy is the guy is just a, a treasure in this area. If you have a chance, please follow him, uh, cousin Wayne, on Twitter or anywhere that he is, and uh, go see him if he's if he's doing anything anytime. He, the, the guy is really funny. You won't, you will not regret it. And if you tell him you came because of the show, maybe he'll buy you a drink, uh, and then I'll pay him back. Also, want to thank Hayes Carl for being on. I, I you know, I, I've always enjoyed. One of the cool things about this show is that I've gotten a chance to really meet some some pretty pretty famous people, and it's it's kind of neat to be able to do that. Um, I, it, never have I had someone on the show that was more of who I had them out to be in my mind than Hayes, and the reason for that is because he comes across so in such a genuine way in his music, because I think that's all the guy is. It's just genuine. That's just it. And uh, I really appreciate him coming on. Uh, Talked to him afterwards. He had a great show at the Whitewater Center. Those of you that went, sounded like it was about to be rained out, but it wasn't. So for anybody brave enough to make it out there, he said it was a hell of a show. And uh, it's certainly a place he wants to come back. He, he, he had never been there, as he said on the, uh, on the episode. And he really dug it. The Whitewater Center is a place I haven't been either, but everyone I know raves about it. So it needs to be on my list one of these days, one of these days. Um, coming to you from Studio B at the local bar media today. Uh, so surrounded by, by pictures that I'm not normally surrounded with and uh, was looking over a couple of things right before the show. And all it's doing is making me want to add more uh, to what this show is, and I, I don't need to do that. What I need to do is strip it down as much as I can. I made a Facebook post uh, a couple weeks ago on July 11th uh, about something that I did, and I got the response whenever I just throw a picture up or two of it uh, that I normally get um, when people say, oh, did you really do that? Is that something that you did? Uh, is, was that really you in that picture? And um, I got more emails, though, and messages on Facebook from friends that I've had over the past, I don't know, 10, 15 years that said, uh, I didn't know you did this. Why have you never told me about this? And there's a couple of reasons why. Number one, because the story is long. <laughs> and I usually tell this if I do tell the story, and it's not one I tell very often, uh, but if I do, it's usually as I have a couple of drinks and what ends up happening is I make it even longer than it should. But being that I'm recording this in Studio B where there is no drinking in here except for coffee and this early in the morning, uh, I decided that maybe, maybe this is the right way to tell it. Number two, um, I don't tell it because it doesn't really hit all the, the points I feel like it should when I do tell the story. Because there's some there's some parts of it I don't like to tell. 
But the other day I got some news that really bothered me. And it 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 hit me deep. And it was the kind of news that I I don't like to get the most. And uh I've been thinking about it for uh for uh, a week now and I've I I put off one show and decided not to put this off again. It's funny how this stuff kind of speaks to you from time to time. And I decided to uh I don't know, I guess use this to document it. To finally have a place where I tell the story and the uh the bits of it that are exciting, that are funny, that are stupid, all of it can be mixed together uh, along with the points that I think are important because I did it. I did it once. I'm never doing it again. I'll go watch it. But I've done it and I learned my lesson. And so uh I wanted to, to share it today. Before I begin, I will tell you, uh, I understand that we live in a world, I don't know if you've picked up on this or not, uh, that is uh, very particular about things. And, and we like to be mad about anything. Not only that, we live in a world where people search to be mad. And so knowing this stuff, I, I want to be careful that number one, I don't, uh, well, let's, let's be, just, let me just be frank about this. I don't want to offend anybody with something that I'm, uh, the subject that I'm going to talk about. And also uh, want to go ahead and put up a wall of saying, uh, don't, please don't use this as another reason to hate me. Um, I, you already hate me. I, I don't really care. <laughs> but in all seriousness, to be uh, to, to be more on the, the genuine side, uh, I, I, I want to tell you something about this uh, for anyone that we are probably more brothers in this than you think. So please hear me out. The story that I'm going to tell is one that is brought up a lot about animal cruelty. I'm going to tell you that there's a part of that that I do not disagree with. There's a part of this story that I will disagree with, and I want to go ahead and 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 knock this point out before I begin because I, I'm not going to address it after I'm done. The story I want to tell you today happened July 11th of 2005, um, and uh, I, I went over uh, to Pamplona and uh, did the running of the bulls in Pamplona, the real running of the bulls, the thing, the absolute, not the knockoff in Mexico, the thing, the one that's been around for a very long time, old school tradition, it is what it is. People will protest it, especially the PETA folks, and say that is animal cruelty. I want to let you know something right now. The The actual running of the bulls is not animal cruelty. It is people cruelty. You'll see why in a minute. Um, the bulls are in themselves not in any danger while they're doing that. They're the thing that is in the least amount of danger while that is happening. Um, what happens after the running of the bulls? Yes, I will agree with you. I uh, I am a big fan of St. Ernest Hemingway. Uh, there's a lot about his writings that have um, that I've enjoyed, but it's also shaped parts of my life. 
there is a there is a kinship in the things that he enjoyed that that I know that I do as well. And I, as I've gone off in adventures throughout my life and continue to do so today, actually mirror a lot of it around things that he enjoyed. And so I find that when I come across some of those things, a lot of times I enjoy them, I think, as much as he did. There are things that we disagree on vehemently. I do not find war to be romantic. <laughs> uh, so he and I disagree on that. He was also really big into bullfighting and what he thought of as the artistry of it. He even wrote a book. It is not a, it's a, it's an instructional book. It's like a guidebook. A lot of people don't know this. It, it is a guidebook to understanding bullfighting. It is very thick. It is very detailed. It is not um, to be confused with The Sun Also Rises. It, it is not that. It is not a romantic story about two people traveling through Spain uh, during uh, the Estafeta and all that stuff. It is not uh, the Encinero. Um, It is not that. It is a guide to bullfighting. I've read it. I have also gone to a bullfight because I'm not going to knock something without seeing it. I will now knock it. <laughs> it is barbaric. I mean, look, I know. Mm. I understand. I understand cultural differences. And sometimes what we don't like is that some people have traditions and things that we see as being very barbaric. So my Spanish friends, please understand, I'm not knocking you here. I just disagree with it. The reason why, by the way, um, that I disagree with it the most is I've read that book that Hemingway had. And there's a there's a part of it that that loses me. Number one, Killing animals for sport in such a way uh, of being in an arena is just a, a little bit over the line. I understand hunting. I understand uh, like getting food from that and all that kind of stuff. But it, it is a little bit more torturous when you see it in something that looks um, like uh, the movie Gladiator. I mean, it's, it's what it looks like. It is, it, is, it is breathtaking to see in the way that um, it looks like something that would only happen in, in Hollywood movies. And it's, 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 it's an, it's, it's a, I will say to anyone that is a fan of that. It, yes, I understand. It is an, it is an interesting thing. It is, um, <laughs> foreign, foreign is a dumb word to use there. It, it is, it is very interesting. Uh, here's where, just to pick it apart real quick, it, uh, the parts that I think are barbaric and just the things that happen. Sure. I also don't like it because, you know, when I did the running of the bulls, I ran against the bulls, the picadors that go out there and make the bull mad, like kind of dance around it and try to stab it with these uh, long spears. Those spears have a drug in them and they do that to protect the matador um, so that the bull does not get the matador. Uh, too badly, at least. It makes him kind of groggy and hazy because the way they see it, I guess, it'd be an unfair fight. So that's where my problem still lies. I don't, I mean, if you're going to do this, if you're going to do this, then then let's let's man up and let, let's just go. Well, why we, why we, why we, why we got to have the drugs in the system? If you can't, ha if you can't hack it, well, then, then just get on out the arena. And so I, I do understand that is something that I am not a fan of. It is not something that I ever care to see uh, again. For those of you that appreciate bullfighting and that's your thing, that's your thing. It is not mine. Um, and so I do understand that around this event, there are those things. Uh, that being said, that's it on that. 
You can send emails. If they have to do with that, I want you to know something. I always like to respond uh, to emails personally if I get them. I, this is your response. I've already given it to you. It's just the way that I am on it. I'm not going to go down the road either way, um, and, and it is what it is. So let me get in, into the story, and I, and I have to go back to the very beginning of, of why this happened. Um, I um, Back in, uh, it, it was around 2003, uh, my ex-father-in-law and I were sitting around uh, watching ESPN late at night. And they were showing uh, the running of the bulls and they were, their coverage was excellent. It was, I mean, it was, they don't do this anymore because of the past five minutes that I've just been talking. And, uh, but it was, it was amazing. And what we couldn't, re we, we never realized was everything else that was going on. Like we knew there was a run, but we didn't understand what was going on. And they were showing clips of the festival and what the, the whole, everything that was going on in San Fermin and, and what, what all that meant. And, and how there's more than, it wasn't just the bull run. That was, that was the thing that happened in the morning. Here's everything else. You know how they do whenever, you know, there's a sporting event. They go out and they look for human interest stories all around. Um, we were blown away that we had never heard of this. I mean, I, I, you're reading books by Hemingway, but, you know, the man kind of like, eh, he takes some liberties with some of his uh, writing sometimes. Uh, and we were blown away by it. And we were captivated. And we had had quite a few drinks. So we began talking and talking and talking and kind of getting kind of up in a tizzy and he was sitting over by his computer like he, he usually did. And he turned and he looked at me and he's like, you know what a, you know what a flight to Spain would be? At the same time, we had come across the HBO uh, series, the, the Band of Brothers, and um we both had family members. I had both of my grandfathers that were, were around during World War II. Um, and one of them, whose group was actually a, a part of one of the episodes of Band of Brothers, uh, it, it, it was, uh, we, we had a lot of ties, and we, we knew some stories, but we didn't know all of them. And we kind of just kept talking, and we kept brainstorming. And my ex-father-in-law, Russ, just let it, let it go. And we, we, as I was talking, he was writing stuff down and typing stuff into the computer and we just kept the drinks going and it ended up becoming kind of ridiculous story. He had planned a, a, an entire trip where we would fly to Paris because if we go to Paris, uh, then our wives will probably let us get away with this other thing that we want to do. And we're going to, here's what we're going to do. We're going to drive up to Normandy. And we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see Normandy because we have never seen it before. And we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see where my grandfathers were and all that stuff. And then we're gonna we're gonna drive down the western side of France because of a couple of things that we knew about that area. And then then we'd cross over the Pyrenees into Pamplona. We do the running of the bulls. We take an extra day. We take it all in, and then we come back and go through Avignon because of the arts festival that's going on at that time, and Bastille Day and everything that's the whole holiday there. And then we'll go back into Paris and we'll spend another couple of days and then fly home. And uh, I thought it sounded amazing. And then he looked at me and said, "Okay, you got your credit card?" <laughs> and I was like. No, man. I mean, we were so young. We were like, we had, we had just been married in a very short period of time. We were so broke. We couldn't even afford to pay attention. And I was like, I was like, no, I can't, I can't do that. And he just kind of gave me that look, that look of like, how many, how many lives do you have? <laughs> and so I just pulled up my credit card out my wallet, threw it at him. We bought the tickets. We made the hotel reservations. 
And then we walked into the kitchen where our, our, our wives were uh, to explain to them what happened. And, oh, man, it was a month of yelling. Oh, my God. God, you should have. Sheesh. It, I mean, it was bad. <laughs> it, was, it was really bad. We were determined, though. We were determined, and we have both stated before, we didn't understand what we were determined by after the run. We, we understood something else. There was something else calling both of us for this thing. I went and spent some time with both of my grandfathers um, before uh, before we went in 2005. And um, one of them I spent time with just alone. The other one, Russ went with me. We sat down, had dinner with him, and he told us the stories. Not only that, he actually gave me the uh, booklet as the declassified uh, documents of his group and their time over there. And it's amazing. It's It's phenomenal. Reading what they did and where they went, um, and some of the some of the things that they were involved with, involved with that were iconic uh, it, it, pieces in the war. It was it was a really wonderful thing to do because my I had never been at the age. My grandfather and I had a very good relationship, but we we I had never been of the age where he felt like I could understand it, um, and I hadn't lived through those years of my life to compare to his and in, in the in the difference between what I did during that time of my life when I was the, that age and, and what his life was like. And there was a respect that I had um, that's still hard to translate. And it was it was wonderful. It was uh, it was amazing to be able to spend that time with him. The other grandfather, there was a lot of pain, uh, a lot of regret. There, there was just a lot about his life at that time, where he was, what he was doing. Um, and so it was very personal, and it was it was a it was a nice thing to be able to to talk to them, even though it was very brief. Um, about we we went over and um, we left and flew into Paris, and we went up to Normandy, and it was very touching. Any of you that have ever been before, it is pretty amazing. Um, it, it is uh, breathtaking to to look at the the ground. I mean, we've all probably watched Saving uh, Private Ryan and, and and all the other movies that. They do a very good job of depicting something. Um, for some reason, it doesn't feel like it, it. It it really looks as it doesn't feel that it comes across as daunting as it really is in Hollywood movies. It's usually the other way around. I don't I don't know why, but standing there looking back up the hills, I don't I don't still don't understand how they did it. Um, sheer numbers, I know, uh, and uh, and a lot of luck and and some skill, but man, it it is. It is something amazing to, to go and look at and, and appreciate. And then we drove through uh, different parts of, of France. And, and, and all that is, is another story, and it's, and it's fine. And, but then we get to Pamplona. And we get to Pamplona, and uh, we, we don't understand how the streets work. It is a very small town. It is an extremely small town, but the entire world is there during this week. And so it is crazy. It is, I mean, that's to, to put it lightly. And we go and we get to the hotel and it's just madness. There's tons of other stories about stuff that didn't work and having to overcome some obstacles. And I mean, hey, as my ex-wife, there's a lot of obstacles to overcome. Okay. But it, we, it was, it was a, it was, it was, we got there. That night, Russ and I walked out and we walked to uh, the area that they had boarded up uh, so we could at least get a view of what the bull run looked like. And we knew that that morning, that next morning we were running. 
there's a couple of things that you probably have seen in movies that I need to explain from the beginning. Uh, number one, uh, that you think that as I run, I'm going to just jump into this doorway or maybe into this shop, and that is all theatrics. Everything, everywhere is boarded up. There is nowhere to get out. Nobody who owns anything on that street wants anyone or anything crashing through their windows. So it is boarded up for those of us that live in the South, like, like a hurricane, like a hurricane's coming through. So when you're there, there's nothing but solid, slick walls to your right and left. Number two, these are old streets. So those of you that live in Charleston think Meeting Street. Um, it, is, uh, it, is, it is very, is very tight. There's cobblestones on parts of it. There's there's pavement on most of it, asphalt on most of it. It is a, or at least back in 2005, it is, it is the setting is probably a, a little bit more troublesome than you've seen on television. There's another aspect of this. There are six fighting bulls. So what happens is they, they cart in these bulls on a train, and six of them are the fighting bulls that will fight in the uh, arena that evening. There's also six to eight other bulls that are called steers. These bulls are trained to run through the streets, and the fighting bulls, if they get lost, they follow the steers. They are um, bigger than any other cow I've ever seen before in my entire life. If I, if when I stood up, the hump on the back of their neck was taller than 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 I was. Okay, and I'm about five eleven, six foot. If I've got good shoes on, okay. So it's they're they're tall, and they have this bell, this bell that just tolls the whole time, so the fighting bulls can can hear them. And even though those fighting bulls are big and massive, they are about shoulder shoulder height, which sounds okay. But the problem is when you run. You now cannot see them. They're like a shark in water. You hear the steers. You can see them so you know something's near them, but you don't realize they're there until they're a person or two on top of you. Because remember, every time you've seen a video of the running of the bulls, you see it top down. You don't see it from the side. <laughs> it's a very different, very different thing. We woke up that Monday morning and we um, we went to go and uh, we got down there like ass early. We di we didn't want to be late. Ran into a couple of people. Ran into a, an Irish dude who had had his pocket picked that morning. Uh, ran into a guy from Detroit who uh, brings his people every year. He's a he was a like a like a like a, a headhunter from back in the day. Like he was just one of these guys that did staffing. I guess back when. Before it became a big thing, and so he made tons of money. He brought his friends every year. Brought five friends every year. Um, most of them did not look like they were in shape to run, uh, and most of them even admitted to us they were uh, they weren't really planning on going too far. They were going to kind of be in there when the bulls passed them. They were going to stop. The run, by the way, is a mile long. And uh, but but Detroit as we so affectionately called him, was determined. He wore the green shirt. And apparently, if you're a big veteran of this, you wear a green shirt every time you run. And he was going to get into the arena. Well, that's what I wanted to do. I mean, I wanted to run. I wanted to get into that arena. But there's a, there's a, there's a problem. Not all people make it because when the last bull goes in there, the doors are shut and that's it. So understanding where we are now, um, we were walking around and the cops are very strict. If you're drunk, you don't get to run. 
If you do anything that looks like it could hurt somebody else, you don't get to run. If they see you with your phone, like you're taking selfies, they will snatch your phone from you and throw it away. They do not care. Their only job is to make sure people aren't hurt by other people being stupid. If you get hurt by a bull, it's your own fault. But if you hurt somebody else because you're being dumb, that's it for you. And they are strict. So we walk up to where we think we're going to start. And the cop goes, nope, you got to go down. And so now we're getting tight on time. So we go down a little bit further. Hey, we want to get in here. Nope, you have to go down. So we went down. Cop tells us, nope, you've gone too far. You got to go back up. Like, what in the world? I mean, it was ridiculous. We finally figured out where we were going to go, but we got nervous. Like, we got in there three minutes to spare, maybe. Most people are already in their spot. They're going to start, and it's shoulder to shoulder. It's it's pretty crammed. We didn't think we were going to get in there, and all I could think about was everything it took to get there, the money, the problem at the hotel, the two issues at the airport, the forgotten passport that we had to turn back around and drive all the way into France while everybody is trying to go south from France because it's Bastille Day. That traffic was God almighty. The amount of money it took to get there, the yelling and screaming I got for months in order to make this happen, everything, and the only thing I could think of is like, man, I did not come this far just to get here. That's ridiculous. I was determined to get in there. There was a cop that was cutting off the people going in. He gave me a look like, sorry. I gave him a look like, sorry. And he let us in and they closed the door. We got in there and I'm just trying to come down off the high that I already have. So think about this. Adrenaline's rushing through your body because you're late. You've done all this crap and you think you're about to lose your chance to do this one thing you came over here for. You were already disappointed in yourself because you thought you had missed it. So all this, all this crap is running around in my head. I get in there and I just start looking around and my mind just goes and I'm trying to calm myself down. Russ kind of says something to me, but I didn't hear it. And he walked off and I realized I'm, I'm by myself and that that's it. And I had to do whatever I could to, to kind of bring myself in to where I needed to be. Calm down. You're in here now. Get your bearings straight. There's a plan and you better follow it or you're going to find yourself in a hospital or worse. Let me explain that to you. Um, there's a couple of rules you have to have when you do this thing. Number one, and, and this is one of the most troubling for some people to realize, is as you're running, uh, you sometimes come across people. Uh, you sometimes come across animals. You sometimes come across monsters. Uh, sometimes uh, some stuff in the road, uh, cobblestone, whatever it is. If you fall, you're not supposed to get up. If you've seen videos of people getting hurt, it's usually people that are getting up. Try to picture this in your mind. If you fall down and you start to get up, you're kind of more at that bull's aiming level. And they'll come in and they'll use their horns like a right and left hook. And they're they're powerful. And they'll catch you right in the middle. That's how people get hurt. Um, they tell you not to do that. So what they tell you to do instead, and they mean this sincerely, is to lay there, if you can, as straight 
as straight with the street, going with the way the street's going, and just cover your head. So hopefully nothing or no one will step on, on your head. Um, and you're going that way, so you, you have the chance to trip less people. And after everything and everyone has passed, someone will tap you three times on the, on the back, and that's when it's okay to get up. That is scary. So you ask someone, then what are you supposed to do? And they tell you, you cover your head and you pray. And they're all serious when they say that. The other thing is when you get into, if you are lucky to get into the bull arena, um, they tell you to not be in the middle because when the bulls get into the bull arena, that's home. They understand where they are now. Now you're on their turf and they're pissed off because they've been on your turf and they've been confused. So if you find yourself in the middle of the arena, there are no picadors. These things aren't drugged up. There's nowhere for you to go and they're, they're going to come at you. Um, because they're usually wanting to take a little bit of frustration out on, on people. So what you do is you make sure when you come into the arena, you go um, somewhere on, on the sides. Russ and I decided if we were lucky enough to make it into the arena, we're going to 3 o'clock, meet at 3 o'clock. So you go in and go directly to the right. The last thing that you have to remember is the um, the going into the arena is small. It's like when you go into any um, kind of coliseum, you walk underneath the stands. So there is a there is a, a small hallway where everybody and everything has to go through it. Some of the pictures you've seen before when people have been dumb right there, uh, especially I think it was in 1976 where uh, the bulls got caught on the outside because too many people piled up and the bulls just picked their way through. It was it was tragic and it was awful. Um, and so you have to be careful because that's not a place you want to fall. So what people do is you kind of end up pairing up to where you put your hand on the shoulder of the person in front of you. They're running as fast as they can. You have your head turned backwards running as fast as you can. So if all of a sudden something comes up on you, you can move both of you out of the way very quickly because the, the last thing that anybody needs is anybody falling right there. It's very daunting. It's very scary. But, hey, you didn't do this because it was an easy thing, right? So I'm standing there uh, getting ready to begin, and I'm, I'm thinking of, of, of all this stuff that, that I've had in my head. Um, and then I thought about my grandfather, the quiet one, the one that, that had a very uh, open conversation with me, uh, not only about the war but his life. He had died just a couple months earlier. There's a lot of there's a lot of amazing things that happened um, right before he died, and then right after he died that even made it possible for me to go on this trip. That's a story for another day, and I just don't want to talk about that. But his passing was very hard for me. I was very lucky. I didn't lose my first grandparent until I was 25 years old. At all four of them until I was 25. My last, I, by the way, I lost my last one when I was 35. Very lucky guy when it comes to knowing my grand. I knew two of my great grandparents. I mean, I was I was really lucky. But I had a very hard time with his death. Years before, I had a hard time with a couple other ones. And that, that, that six year period, um, was more defining to me 
with issues that I, I'll be honest with you, I've struggled with since. Um, a lot of it is what I've talked about in therapy. It, there, there's, there's stuff there that's very hard to unpack. And I'm not going into detail because these are stories that I keep to myself. But understand that there was a period where I, I went through a lot of very tragic, grotesque, and harsh loss. And um, not to be rude, but I, I had no one to help me. No one. Um, I don't mean this to be something where I'm pulling, you know, I'm not pulling punches, but I, I did. I was too young to go through some of it alone, um, not experienced enough to understand how to deal with it. And it affected me greatly. Um, it, it has affected me greatly throughout my life. And it's been horrible. And I've had things that have stemmed from that that were just... Um, Well, let's just, 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 let me just say it's, it's, thank God I found my wife. Thank God that Maria is in my life now. I don't, I don't know that I'd be any better. Um, and I found myself standing there in the middle of that street. And I had this thing and this feeling and this emotion that I'd carried with me for about five to six years that's that's hard to explain uh luckily with the therapy that i go through i understand it a little bit more now but i'll 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 kind of dumb it down and tell you the way i felt i felt like i'd been forgotten as in i felt like i was should have died years before i felt like i was in a space in my life where i was taking up space because let's say god just forgot to get me I'd watched people like my grandfather pass and I'd watch what my grandmother and my dad and his two brothers and all of them go through. And that strange emotion that goes through complicated relationships. And, and I, I, I didn't understand the length of his time and why mine was still going on because things weren't just adding up in my mind. What, where I was and who I was felt like somebody should have hit reset on the Nintendo game a long time ago. And I, I just didn't know how to contemplate it. And so one thought came into my mind. One thought came into my mind there in the middle of that, of that um, arena. And, and look, I paint a lot of pictures with words. Okay, I tell a lot of stories. I like it. I'm a storyteller. It's what I do. I take liberties from time to time. I'm going to tell you exactly how I felt in that moment with no frills attached to it. And I mean this sincerely. Everything slowed down almost to a stop. And I felt like everything was frozen around me and I just looked around. And I'm, you know, you, you make your promises to the guy upstairs or to yourself or whatever is higher than you, the universe, whatever you look at. And you say these things from time to time and we mean it, we think in the moment, but we just kind of let it go. And we and maybe we give a little bit more to charity and maybe we go to church for a while, but we never do that thing. I thought of my other grandfather who's who told me the story. I've said it before on the show. I don't, I don't really want to go into it now about how he was in a foxhole in Baston and was getting destroyed. The guy in the foxhole beside him um, died 
he he was sure he was going to go. Said he was going to teach Sunday school and change his life and never doubt God again if he could get him out of that foxhole. The story of how he got out of it, I said before again on other episodes of the show, was amazing. But what my grandfather did afterwards was even more amazing. He didn't. He didn't doubt God for the rest of his life. He went home and taught Sunday school. And the guy actually followed through with it. He's the only person I know that's actually done that. Maybe my Uncle Wally. Maybe he did too. But I had a moment right there that it wasn't so much of a, hey, I want to make a deal with you. It was, hey, can we settle up? And I meant this sincerely in that moment. Hey, if I'm supposed to not be here, can we do this now? I was, I was in a state of depression that I didn't understand. I was at a point in my life to where I, I couldn't deal with what I was dealing with. I didn't have anybody I could talk to. I didn't. I didn't have a place I could turn. I didn't have someone there. And so what I tried to do was fix it myself, and it was beyond me. It was beyond me. I was dealing with, with, with loss and anger, and uh, a lot of stuff that was displaced and misrepresented in other places. And all I did was everything that was wrong. And it wasn't so much that I hated myself. I, 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 I was mad at myself in a lot of ways, but I didn't like what was going on anywhere. And so it was really more of a deal. And here's what I mean by it. And this is, this is what I want you to understand. It was a moment of, no, I understand. If I'm walking out of here in, in about 20 minutes, um, we're good. But if not, then it's time to, to shut up and do this. And it was in a very angry way. And I meant it. And I felt it. And that, that feeling that I had that sits right above your diaphragm and it's like in between your diaphragm and your lungs, I felt it, that thing that's real. And I meant it. And suddenly I was ready. And the rocket went off. The rocket means the bulls are coming and you better start running. And so they were coming, and what I was doing instead was jumping up and looking back towards them, which is rule number one, you, you don't do that. And so after my mind realized that the people that were saying, go, go, were talking to me, and I was breaking the rule, crap, Chad, get your mind together, it's game time, the whistle's blown, you better go. So then I took off running. The first, uh, the first two bulls charged right past me. I could not believe how fast they got there. They were paired up side by side, the one on the right, I think a little bit further than the one on the left. And they but they were booking it. They both passed me to my left. And they were hauling it. I had turned the corner right at Estafeta, which is where you'll see them sometimes slide. Um that's where they'll get turned around and they'll get mad. I'm running and I'm I'm I see them and I'm like holy crap they came out of nowhere and then next thing I know the big steer comes by now the steer is is not an attacking bull but I saw something really quickly it happened after he passed me um, somebody had stopped and saw the steer and got in his way and the steer politely moved him and when I mean politely moved him he threw this dude in the air like it was nothing 
You don't get in their way. Suddenly, that's three bulls down, a whole mess of them still behind me, um, at least four fighting bulls. So I knew, uh, I, I knew now that these guys were serious, and I needed to get going. As as I'm as I'm running, you know, people are cheering. It's really kind of a surreal moment. There's only so much of it that lives in your head. Your adrenaline's pumping like you would not believe, and it's just it's just I, just, I can't I can't explain it. Um, and I got lost. I, I was just running streets. We turn a corner. I'm running more streets. And I'm, I'm, I knew where we wanted to go and I knew where I needed to be in order to get into that arena, but I wasn't quite sure. And then finally, I just kind of told myself, well, dude, what are you worried about? There's only one way to run. Go that way. And it's just a matter of trying to keep your head about you while all this is happening. Cause it's just complete chaos and madness. And it's people above you cheering. And you're like, you, you go through all these emotions. Like what the hell are you cheering for? Do you not see what's happening here? And then there's other points. It's like, oh my God, I am doing something amazing. Like, I, I do hope I get through this because I'd like to celebrate. And like, all all the emotions you can have as a human being happen in that moment. Even anger shows up. Trust me, somebody gets in your way. You understand why they have that other rule about not being dumb. It's just nuts. I got to the uh, door of the arena. The the third and fourth bull had since passed along with the steers that were with them. Um, and then suddenly, before I go into the arena, I went to put my hand on the shoulder of the guy in front of me. I was thankful. I was like, oh, my God, I, I know I've made it. I know I've made it. The guy all of a sudden in front of me, he's looking back as well. And I thought maybe he was confused. He didn't know what to do. Maybe I'd pick the wrong partner here. And he kind of pushed us both out of the way as the fifth bull ran by. Not that close, but it was enough to remind us like crap. But I also knew because I kept, kept a count on my head, that's five. They're shutting the door. We got to go. Luckily, my partner, whoever he was, wherever he was from, had the same idea. And he booked it and we took off through that tunnel probably record time jesse owens would be proud of us we just went through it as fast as we could i was admittedly looking back a little but he was pretty fast and i wasn't gonna lose him so i may have turned my head forward the last half of that i mean hey we were through it that far as we get to the edge i get to the edge and do what annoying people do at the end of 5k races i stop right at the finish line i'm over on the side and the cop that's sitting there says something to me in spanish but i think it was pretty much something like uh excuse me sir i don't think you've thought this all the way through you might want to keep on moving so i run in and i go directly to three o'clock finally i followed one of the rules today that i was supposed to follow so I'll go over there and I turn and I look back towards the, the massive door that suddenly has all these people running in and out of it. And why are they running in and out? And I was confused. Here's what was going on that I didn't know. The last bull had gotten turned around. That's the last thing you want to have happen. And he was by himself. No steers. All the steers are through. These bulls uh, were branded the, the Hondilia bulls. If you know anything about this, then uh, yes, I ran with the last iteration of the Hondilia bulls that they finally retired the family, but they they did bring them back a few years ago. I think somebody else bought the line. Uh, the Hondilias are known for being the most ferocious bulls in all of bullfighting and all of Spain's history. Why we picked that day to run with them, I don't know, but this guy made it very apparent that he was a Hondilia bull. He had gotten quite a few people. He was really after this one dude. And he was outside of the bull arena, but he was still pissed off. 
and he did not want to go in. He wanted somebody's butt. Um, you can see the video. I've posted it if you're if you follow me my my personal page. Maybe I'll put it up on the 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 local bar media Facebook page. Um, but on my personal page, if you're a personal friend of mine, I, I put that video up. It uh, it is very easy to see him. He is very mad at this one dude with a blue and gold shirt on. Uh, he ends up getting somebody who is standing by the fence on the other side of it. Goes right through the fence, right at him. Not through the fence, but his horn goes through the the break in the fence. Like he was he was a mad guy. I also turn and look and I see Russ run through and I was like, good. So Russ is through and he's going to do the thing that you should do and he's going to run the right way. But he didn't. He ran to uh, like seven o'clock. What the hell is Russ doing? This is supposed to be at three o'clock. He's over there at seven o'clock. So what did I do? Uh, the dumb thing that I'm not supposed to do. I ran from three o'clock to seven o'clock. Yes, I ran right through the middle of the bull arena while we're waiting for the world's meanest bull at that time to come through. And the people were running out and in and out and in trying to coax this thing to get in because the longer it stayed out there, the more mad it was getting, the more people it was hurting. So now these people weren't doing this just as a fun thing, but because they were trying to help this guy. They were trying to end it. They were they were they were sacrificing themselves. I don't use that term loosely, but they were they were doing what they could to get this bull inside. Another thing I noticed as I ran through the middle was there was a young girl, probably 16, white pants on, like jeans, like like designer stuff, and a jean jacket in July. I don't still can't figure that out. And she was standing there. And she was smiling, and she had, you know, the dust on her from being in the bull arena. And like she was just sitting there waiting for this thing to come through after having run with the other bulls. I mean, first of all, I, there was a time they didn't let women run this. So I was like, I didn't know they did. Second of all, who lets a 16-year-old run this? And third, why is she not scared for her life? And I saw her run towards that maddening crowd. And run in and out to try to coax that bull into the arena. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And then I realized I needed to not stop and get out of the middle of the arena. Chad, what are you doing? You're here again, breaking the rules. So I run over to the side where Russ was. And he sees me, and we say something to each other. And I, I can't remember both of us, eyes as wide as a three-year-old on Christmas morning. And then something happened that I still don't understand what came over me. The bull came in. The first thing he did was that that point right where I was, where I had stopped when I had come in, the right-hand side of the corner, like I'm going towards 3 o'clock. The bull came in, and there was a dude standing there, not, not too different like what I did, and that bull took him and just flipped him as soon as he came in. And the whole crowd went, whoa. They knew what they were watching now. Here's the guy that was not having it. And he's in here now, and he just let everybody know, I'm here. So the bull then uh, started walking or trotting, and I could tell he knew, hey, I'm in my place now. He had this strut about him. And he got to the middle of the arena, and I wasn't, I don't know. I've tried to explain this, and, and, and Russ is the only one I've ever talked to about this, I, I, and my therapist. I wasn't ready for it to be over. I hadn't gotten what I needed. I hadn't heard 
the accounts were settled. And I took off running right towards the bull. I don't I can't explain it better than that. The bull was almost at the at the door and he stopped like on a dime and turned. And I wasn't the only one. There was a, a line of guys beside me to my right and left and that we were just running straight at him. Like we were going to chase him into the the door. I don't know what their I don't know what their reasons were, but I knew what mine was. And he stopped and he turned and every one of us froze. Now, if you watch the video, you'll see in my mind in my mind's eye uh, and and at the moment, I felt like that bull was about five feet in front of me. He wasn't. He's probably a good, I don't know, 10 yards, maybe not that, well, maybe about 10 yards in front of me. So he was, a, he was a, there was a distance. And this guy, for some reason, at the same time the bull turned, was running. I guess he thought he was going to smack him on the butt or something. And the bull caught him and just flipped him, just tossed him. Got the guy good, right in the leg. And we're all just frozen, and a couple of things come over me. I realize I'm in the worst spot I could ever be with this thing anywhere in this entire run. I have now found myself in the one place I should not be. This is the dumbest place to be. Number two, I am at the mercy of this thing. I cannot outrun it. There's nowhere for me to go. If he picks me in this group to come after, that is it. I've got no, I'm exhausted. I had nothing left. When my legs froze, they were froze, just like everybody else beside me. None of us moved a muscle. It was, this was it. We were dumb. This is where people uh, have the stories that are on ESPN for like, you know, the, the not top 10. This is how you get there. That bull flipped that guy. It didn't take long. He he turned back around and trotted right into that to that door. But it was right there. It was it was that moment. It was that moment that I understood what mercy was. It was at that moment that I looked that thing. I, I swear to you, again, this is one of the things that as I tell great stories with great illustrations, that sometimes yeah, there's some embellishments. This one is not. I looked it dead in the eyes. I don't know if it was looking at me. I really hope it was looking at the guy beside me. But that was it. All accounts are settled. It's time to move on. Now, after the last bull goes through, they do this thing um, as kind of an epilogue to this. <laughs> they they let these, uh, the bulls are training. They let them come out. And uh, I, they said calves. So I'm thinking, you know, if the bulls are shoulder high, these things are, they can't build like little baby calves, right? And they let them come out and they run around with people and they have both doors shut. There's nowhere for you to go. Um, 
These things are pretty big. <laughs> you can probably find videos of this too. They tape their horns, but the tape comes off the horns. Not only that, they send them out in pairs. And so what people do, because you're exhausted at this point, after you run around for a bit, uh, you'll jump over the wall, you know, the, the, like the matadors that people will do. Well, the problem is, is these things are young and they're not as muscular, but they can jump. And so what will happen is one of them will leap over the walls and chase people. And so you're diving back into the arena while the other one's sitting there trying to scoop people up and they are just railing people. People are getting hurt and people are laughing and people, it's just, it's, it's a nuts. It's completely nuts. It's, you can, I'm sure you can find it somewhere online. It's just, it's crazy. There's this one thing that people do where they will, they'll sit in front of the door, like on the ground. And when the bull comes out, it'll jump over their head. It's just, it's nuts. It's even, it's arguably nuttier than the run, but it's crazy. After, after a few minutes of that, Russ and I had had it had it so we go over to the door and the door is somewhere around nine feet tall and so what you do is you hope that someone who has found a way to get up there will kind of help you up so i jump as high as i can this guy behind me is pushing on my feet i reach up grab the guy above me and he pulls me over i turn around grab russ while he's doing it we help a couple of other guys over and we fall on the other side of that door, laying in that hallway of death that we were gonna we were gonna go through. And I lay down on the ground and I just start laughing and I lose it. He and I come out of the arena. We look for the first wineskin we can have. There was some girl, I don't know who she was, some young Spanish girl that was walking by with a just a, a group of people and she had a bucket with a ladle in it and she looks at me and holds it up to me i have no idea what this this stuff is um but if uh, if, a, if a spanish girl with brown eyes looks at you with a ladle you, you take a drink out of it so i did and i don't know i can't even remember the taste of it i have no idea what it did to me I, but um it was i guess it was great but i mean, it was the first thing i drank and i grabbed a wine skin and i drank whatever i could out of it i was exhausted There's a few things to understand about this story. Um, and it took me days to unpack some of it. It's taken me years to unpack the important things. It's taken me a couple of decades for the most important. Well, almost two decades. One, when we got there, um, there's a lesson, I think, that that all of us can take away from it. We plan things a lot. We live our lives to a point. I don't, if there's anything that I have a problem with and that I don't like, it's suicide. It's very sad and it bothers me greatly. I got news the other day that surrounds that and it, it just, it hurts me, um, and I hate it. And there's a lot of reasons why I hate it. I, I get very angry about it. I get angry at the person for not uh, realizing what their life is worth. I get angry for them for not realizing how stupid it is to leave people with pain that you don't even understand. And I, you know, I, I've had, Maria's brought up before on, on Welding a Family, or, or maybe this show, I, I can't remember which one we talked about it on, that... Um, the therapist told her one time that you'll never understand how somebody who has 
who really commit suicide, how their brain thinks. We, we can never get to that point to where we can we can be there with them because you just can't. Your, your mind's not going to work that way. And what bothers me about that is their mind doesn't work in ours either. And they don't realize the, the pain that they leave, the deep pain. The things that not only the people that love them behind, but the people they come in contact with for the rest of their lives has to put up with. I hate it. I hate it. I get so mad about it. I get sad about it. Their life should be snuffed out. Because you think it's hard. None, none, none of this stuff is easy. But there's beautiful moments everywhere. You can't stop. You, you can't. And then there's people, and I've learned this in all my years of hospice, and for the longest time, I didn't know why I went into hospice. But I, I'll tell you this. One of the reasons why I did is because part of me had to understand something else. That The other reason to be mad about suicide is because there are people that really wish they had your days. And it's disrespectful. And yeah, that means something to me. So when I was at the door and the cop wasn't going to let us in, that feeling, I wish more people understood that feeling. And, and, and if you are at a point in your life that you feel this way, I want you to feel emboldened by it. Now, I didn't come this far just to come this far. This is, this is not why I did all this. I didn't do all this. I haven't done all this. I haven't created all this. I haven't overcome all this crap just to just to come here. Nah, I I I came here. It's going to happen. That cop understood that. He didn't just let me through because I was a, a nice smiling face. He got it. He felt it. He understood it. You should too. If there's things in your life that you feel like you're just outside of. Then. Then just go do them. Chad, God closed that door. Well, open it. That's what doors do. You, you turn the knob. That's how you do it. If that doesn't work, find another way. The other thing is uh, at the beginning when I started running, <laughs> and I realized that I found myself in trouble. Uh, one of the things that went through my mind that got me going again was realizing that I was only in trouble for as long as I stood there. If I stayed there, I was going to stay in just as much trouble as I was at that point. Running gets me out of trouble, or at least gets me somewhere different. If you ever find yourself in trouble, just don't stop. Keep going. Some of you are not religious. I get that. I'm going to tell you something, because one thing you should understand, whether you're religious or not, is there is something bigger than yourself. I know working in hospice kind of does it. I, I've seen it. I've seen where the atheist prays in their last days. And, and what I mean by that is uh, I see them, what they yearn for and the connections that they have and the things that are bigger than them, the, the idea of going on. Just, just There's a lot to be said for that. If you find yourself laying face down on a cobblestone street with your head covered and the only thing that you can do is pray, then you better freaking pray. If you find yourself with nothing left but prayer, then you better pray. For my Christian friends, I got another one for you. If you find yourself on a cobblestone street with your head face down, covering your head, and all you have left is prayer, then you better freaking pray. If all you have left is prayer, then do it. It's not the least you can do. It's the only thing you can do. I worry about that with people that 
The young girl in the arena was the other lesson. People will amaze you. Let them. Let them do it. We so often get into these uh, these ideas where we have to have these strict laws and guidance, and we don't want people to do stuff. And God, I see it all the time, where people will be successful, and the people that they come from or that are around them or their family get jealous, and they don't want them to be successful because they want to have what they've got. And it's all jealousy and ridiculousness, and it seeps into other aspects of what we have. Man, life is beautiful. People are fantastic. Kids will surprise you. Old people will crack you up. Life is full from the day you started to the day you ended. People can amaze you. Let them do it. Let them live their lives. Support them. Be there with them. Laugh at it. Take it in. Just if you're just viewing it, take it in. Don't try to, to replace it. You don't have to comment on it. Let it, let it surprise you. Let it inspire you. People will amaze you. Let them do it. But the biggest one, the biggest one that I struggled with for a very long time, if accounts are settled, then you let them go. If accounts are settled, then you hold up your end of the bargain. See, I didn't do as well as my grandfather did. I got I got my answer. It was thrown right in my face. I got it loud and clear, man. Loud and clear. I just couldn't let go. I didn't hold up my end of the bargain. Now nobody punished me for it except for me. If it's time to let things go, and you don't, then all you're doing is using those things as a security blanket. I understand. There, there is a purposeful grief. There is an idea that if you let go, that that it's gone forever. I, I, I want you to know I've read about that enough. Um, I, I've seen people that have gone through that. I understand that. I understand there are other things that are just impossible to let go. You have to. You see, y- your life goes on. All life goes on. The wheel doesn't stop. If you hold on to it too long, then you're creating, you're just creating another account. You're not still dealing with the same issue. You've seen resolution and you haven't held up your end of the bargain. Sometimes you just need to let it go. That's the hard thing about that. If I can just take a second with the suicide thing. See, if if you need help, get it. You have to get help. And we talk about that all the time, and I wish more people would. And I'm so proud of the people that do. And I love their stories of how their life is afterwards. Hell, if you feel like you need help, go read some of those stories. There is a beautiful life that you don't think exists if you go read those stories. And I promise you it can be yours. I promise you. I promise you it can. I don't give out many promises, man. And if I do, they're they're not just flamboyant uh, rumblings of a guy that's had too much coffee in the morning. No, I absolutely mean them. 
But we never talk to the people that deal with it afterwards. I've got friends that have dealt with it very personally, whether it's parents or, or other loved ones. And I want to say something to you where the other ones can hear. You've got to let it go. If your accounts have been settled, you've got to let it go. Yes, it's unfair. Yes, their pain should not be something that you carry. No, none, none of that. None of that is. None of that is fair. When they talk about how unfair life is, they don't realize how they are multiplying by that by a million and passing it on to, to hundreds of you. Yes, I understand that. Find your peace with it. Find your peace with it. Let it go. That's not easy. It's not easy. People will think that you're detached. People will think that you, um, people will not understand why you hang on. They'll misrepresent the reasons why you're hanging on. I under, I, I know all that. I, I get it. I, I, I promise you, I've got friends that have dealt with that personally. But you have to. Because accounts are settled. And the reason why they are is that you don't need to drag yourself down with someone else's with someone else's failure to see their way through it. It is not easy. I'll say one last time. If you find yourself with thoughts of suicide, there are plenty of places to get help. Go get them. Find the people like you that have thought there's nowhere else to go. They'll talk you through it. I promise you. I promise you they will. There's no one that won't. You'll be amazed at what you can see on the other side. So I ran it. And I I I and I uh, I got so much out of it. I celebrated that night like you would not believe in the main square of Pamplona. And then continued on that celebration uh, victory parade through Avignon up to uh, back to Paris and just had an absolute blast of a trip. And it was one that that I loved and one that I want to take again one day because there's a lot of it that was not right. <laughs> oh, if I could take. Maria and the girls on a trip, it would be that. I don't know that it's really their thing. But if they ever come to me and say that they may want to do it, much to Maria's chagrin, they'll they'll have support from me. There are lessons to be learned there. Things that we all need a reminder of. And sometimes it takes something drastic like that to get it. You see, I didn't know why I needed to do that run before I did, but I felt a calling for it. I now understand completely why I did it. In the years since, I've understood those lessons and where I haven't held up my end of the bargain. But I'm going to tell you right now that I feel very comfortable in the person who I am today and uh, what I've learned from it. I know what I won't do to others Um as they go through their lives. It has taught me a way to be more supportive than, than anyone could have ever taught me. It has taught me more about letting go 
It is the mirror that I look into every now and then to remind myself of where I need to keep myself in check. It is important. It is one of the most important moments in my entire life. So that's the story. That's the story in an hour and 10 minutes. That is why you don't hear it from me. Uh, and, and that's why I don't tell it like that. But it is one of my favorites. I appreciate you listening. I hope you got something out of it. And uh, if anything, just remember, you didn't come this far to just come this far. If you find yourself in trouble, just keep moving. People can amaze you if you let them. If all the things you have left is prayer, then freaking pray. And if accounts are settled, you've closed them. Let them go. Till next time, take care. Thanks for stopping by the bar. We've picked up your tab, but if you'd like to leave the best bartenders you know a tip, head over to patreon.com forward slash local bar and support the show. Any support is greatly appreciated. If you'd like to drop us a line, send your emails to chad at localbarmedia.com. Thanks for coming in. See you next week. This podcast is part of a local bar media. For this and other shows, visit localbarmedia.com. So different.